0: To an audio sermon from Fort William Baptist Church. We are located in Thunder Bay, Ontario. To find out more about us, please visit our website at www.fortwilliambaptistchurch.com. Thank you for joining us today. Well, brothers and sisters, crack open your Bibles. We haven't done that together in a while. And would you go to the book of 2 Timothy? So we, last Sunday, just finished up our series on the Ten Commandments, and now we're going to launch off as we regather into a new sermon series, and we're going to take a look in the next coming weeks and months at this letter from Paul to Timothy. Timothy. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we get this. Apple exists to bring the best user experience. Nike exists to bring innovation and inspiration. Coca-Cola exists to bring refreshment. But the church exists to make disciples, to make learners of Jesus. And this really should be no surprise to us. We should be well acquainted with these words of Jesus. But I want to wedge in a question here. It's a really simple question. Well, what does it look like to live out this mission statement to make disciples of Jesus? This is a question that every group has to wrestle with. Whether you're Apple, Nike, or Coca-Cola, you have to apply that mission statement to the nitty-gritty of company life. Well, how does this actually work? And so this little question, this simple question, raises a whole host of questions. Well, what kind of products should we sell? How should we engage our market? How should our employees dress if we want to refresh the world? Should we even call them employees? How should we design our office spaces and on and on and on, question after question? And this is where we need to wrestle as well. So we have this mission statement. Jesus comes to us, make disciples of all nations. And we ask, well, what does that actually look like for us? How do we go about accomplishing this mandate? What does it look like for us in the nitty-gritty of church life? And again, this simple little question raises a bunch of other questions. We ask ourselves, well, how should we spend our time as a people? Where should we direct our resources as a people? What attitudes and behaviors should we seek to cultivate within the people of God? What doctrine should be taught from the pulpit? What activities should we regularly participate in? What, what, characters, what characters should we look for in leadership? And on and on and on, question after question. And so we ask, well, what does it look like to accomplish Jesus's mission? So to answer these questions, we have to turn to the word of God. Jesus does not only give us a mission, make disciples, but he tells us, he defines how we're to get this job done. And so in the next few weeks and months, we're going to look specifically at 2 Timothy, trying to learn what it looks like, trying to find an answer to this question. Before we get too far ahead, I want to justify this decision. Why are we turning to 2 Timothy? Why not turn somewhere else? Why this book right now? Well, I've got three reasons. The first reason is this. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul. So if we're going to find help in the New Testament, we're going to find it from the Apostle Paul. He lived and breathed the mission of Jesus. He planted churches across Asia and Europe, literally bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. In fact, his very conversion was accompanied with a call to ministry. Jesus talked about Paul like this in Acts chapter 9, saying, He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So if we want to learn about the mission of Jesus and what it looks like in flesh, we can go to Paul because he lived it. And so this first reason justifies our selection of Paul. But if you're a, a keen student of the Bible, you might say, well, I know that Paul wrote 13 letters. Why 2 Timothy? Why not Romans? Why not 1 Corinthians? Why not Ephesians? Why turn here? Well, certainly we couldn't go wrong by turning to any letter of Paul. But I do think 2 Timothy gives us help in a specific, unique way. And so this gives us to a second reason. This letter was written by Paul at the end of his life. And so as we read 2 Timothy, we we start to understand Paul's situation at this point when he penned this letter. We learn that he's again in Rome, and this is likely his second imprisonment in Rome. So we find Paul in Rome in Acts 28. But this situation seems to be taking place after Acts 28, further down The road. And what's interesting is we learn Paul's state of mind in the second imprisonment. He writes to Timothy saying this. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. What is Paul saying? Timothy, I'm going to die pretty soon. I'm convinced of it. The end of the road is near. I can see it. And as we think about this, these circumstances had to impact Paul's life. With prospects so, so short, time so short, there's only time to, to talk about that which was important and only that which was important. The situation of Paul's life functioned like a filter. When you know time is so short, you're only going to talk about those important things and everything else. those so secondary matters, those tertiary matters are going to be filtered out and set aside and tabled and put in the background. And so when we read 2 Timothy, we get this unique look into the Apostle Paul's heart and life. We get to learn what made this man tick, what he was really desirous of. This brings us to a third reason. This letter was written by Paul at the end of his life. This letter is a personal letter. It's a personal letter. Paul begins his address with these words. Chapter 1, verse 2. To Timothy, my beloved child, my beloved child. And so this book stands out as unique in the New Testament. Nowhere else do we find such a personal, intense letter written from one man to another. It even, it even outstrips the, the personal features of 1 Timothy and Titus. And so the result is that we find one of the most compelling letters in all of Holy Scripture. What do we find Paul doing in this? Well, we find him probing Timothy's soul. We find him, him touching upon the most intimate subjects in life. What are you afraid of, Timothy? What motivates you in ministry, Timothy? And we find Paul lurking around in in Timothy's heart, pointing at this and pulling at this. We find Paul encouraging Timothy to to press on in the face of opposition and trouble. It's as if in this letter that Paul is grabbing hold of Timothy and pulling him back to the well of salvation and, and calling him to take another drink of the gospel. Even more, Paul will not let Timothy shrink back from the task that he's been called to. You must press on, Timothy. You must press on. And this letter is so personal. And it's nitty-gritty. It gets into the the realities of life in the church. He advises Timothy on the work of pastoral ministry. He advises Timothy how to deal with difficult people. He advises Timothy how to deal with opponents of the gospel. So Paul, throughout this letter, is focusing on, on life, And so we can find help. What does this mission look like? This is a perfect letter to run to and to learn from. So there we have three justifications why we should study 2 Timothy to answer our question. And so we need to answer our question. What does it look like to accomplish Jesus' mandate? What does obedience look like? What I'm going to do in the remainder of our time is chart out Paul's answer to our question. So when you study... Second Timothy closely, reading it through again and again, five desires emerge. Paul has five desires for his spiritual son, Timothy, and these five desires are going to help us get our arms around this letter. It's going to help us summarize, give us an overview of this letter. And we can be assured if we, like Timothy, give ourselves to these desires, we're going to be found faithful to Jesus' mission. So let's get to work and dive into this letter. So, Paul's first desire is this for Timothy. Timothy, you must experience the fullness of God in the gospel. You must experience the fullness of God in the gospel. So, one matter is clear about the Apostle Paul. As you study his life in the book of Acts or you read his letters, he loved the gospel of Jesus. This was the message that he carried around with him in the ancient world, moving from city to city preaching. He preached it in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe, and they moved on to Philippi, to Thessalonica, to Corinth. He spread this message everywhere he went, and he suffered for this message beatings, stonings, imprisonments, and the rest. And these were the glad tidings that Paul was always quick to remind the churches of. Whenever Paul sat down and wrote a letter to the church, what do we find in his letters? We find gospel truth. And it should be no surprise to us that when we turn and open up 2 Timothy and begin to read it, we find the gospel here again. Paul is reminding Timothy of the essential components of the gospel, listing them all throughout this letter. Look at this. In chapter 1, verse 9, Paul stresses God's sovereignty and salvation. Paul writes, He saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And then Paul articulates the identity of Jesus. Who is this actor in the gospel? Chapter 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. And then Paul goes on to outline the saving deeds that Jesus accomplished in the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 10 which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And Paul teaches that if you read the scriptures, the law, the prophets, the writings, they will lead you to see the glory of Jesus, the wonders of Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And Paul reveals the great result of the gospel. Because of what Jesus did, because he suffered, died, and rose again, this news changes the whole world. Jesus is Lord and he is judge of all and all have to reckon with this man. Chapter 4 verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Chapter 4, verse 8, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but to also all those who have loved his appearing. So it's clear, We, we look into 2 Timothy and the gospel is there, it's everywhere. And the point stands, the mission stands or falls with the truth of the gospel, it must be taught clearly and fully. It must be comprehended by those who listen. It must be passed down from generation to generation. Its purity has to be maintained and carefully guarded. But what's interesting as we study 2 Timothy is that Paul's desire goes deeper. Timothy must have more than a clear intellectual grasp on the material. He must have more than a working knowledge of biblical and theological data. He must experience the God of the gospel for himself. Timothy must deal directly with God. He must traffic in deity. He must have personal dealings with each person of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Paul is so careful to develop this theme throughout the letter. Let's work at this. If Timothy is to press on through the midst of suffering and shame, he must do this, chapter 1, verse 8, by the power of God. If Timothy is to fulfill many duties in his church, he's got to preach, he's got to teach, he's got to warn, he's got to encourage, he's got to counsel, he's got to reconcile people. Chapter 2, verse 1, he must be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He must have constant recourse to all the treasures in Jesus. If Timothy is to guard the gospel from all impurities, corruptions, and pollutions, he must do this, chapter 1, verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. If Timothy is to to press on in the hard intellectual labor of ministry, he must do this knowing that the Lord will give him understanding in everything. Chapter 2, verse 7. If Timothy is to press on in the face of all the discouragements of life, he must receive grace. Mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, chapter one, verse two. It's really interesting to reflect on all of this. What doesn't Paul do? He doesn't give Timothy any new preaching tips, though Timothy probably could use them. He doesn't give Timothy any new ministry strategies, though I'm sure Timothy would have welcomed them. What does he do? Well, he presses upon Timothy that what is most needed for ministry. And what is that close personal contact with the God of the gospel? Nothing else will do. Nothing can substitute for this basic ingredient. What does he do? You must do this by the power of God. You must be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You must labor by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. The Lord will give you understanding. You must receive grace, mercy, and peace from God. And so, brother and sister, as we work our way through 2 Timothy, expect, expect to be challenged by this letter. Paul's gonna to come to us and he's gonna press us again and again. He's gonna to say to you, Do you have dealings with the triune God? Do you consciously in your ministry, whatever it is, wherever you are, labor in his power, his grace, his spirit? Do you know how to do that? Do you know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Do you go for this God for your help, your strength, your joy? Do you have close personal dealings with this God? It's not enough just to know about Him. You must deal with Him and commune with Him. So if we want to obey Jesus' mission mandate, if we want to learn what it looks like, we need to go deep. We need to commune with God. That's desire number one. Desire number two Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you must press on in holiness. And the second desire naturally couples with the first. If Timothy is having close dealings with God, what's going to happen? He's going to start to look like God. He's going to bear resemblance to his father. Timothy must be godly. The reality is this doesn't happen by simple osmosis. One day you wake up and all of a sudden you're extremely godly. Nothing worthwhile in life is easy. We know this. If you want to be a person who's fit and in shape, you have to exercise and eat right. If you want to be a person who excels in, in your vocation, you have to press into it. You have to toil. You have to labor. You have to put in the time. And the same applies in the Christian life. Earnest effort is required. What Paul does in this letter, he's like the coach standing on the sideline. And Timothy's there out on the field. And, and throughout this letter, Paul is, is coaching Timothy up. He's yelling from the sidelines to Timothy out there so he shouts encouragements to Timothy. He wants to lift up Timothy's spirit. So he says, chapter 3, verse 10. You have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. Paul looks out at Timothy and says, I've seen it. You've come this far. I can see the grace of God in you. And then like any good coach, he is not content to leave Timothy there. He says, I've seen that you've come this far, but you must continue on. You must press forward. And and so Paul writes to Timothy saying, flee youthful passions. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And then from the sidelines, Paul calls out and he says, you must watch out for this. You must watch out for that trap, that pitfall. He says to Timothy, warning him, chapter 2, verse 16 avoid irreverent babble. Then chapter 2 verse 23 he says I have nothing to do with foolish ignorant controversies. And then like any good coach he looks at Timothy and he calls Timothy, he challenges Timothy, you must finish the task. It doesn't matter if you you give up. You, you can't give up. You have to press on. You have to finish the race. And so he calls to Timothy chapter 4 verse 5, as for you always be sober minded Endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And so as we take in all of these scriptures, we have to ask, well, why is Paul so concerned about godliness? Why does he spill so much ink on this theme? Well, Paul desires above all that his spiritual son will be able to stand before his Lord and judge with a clear conscience Paul desires that Timothy would be able to come to the end of his life, the end of his ministry, and be able to stand before God and stand before the church and be able to make a boast like this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. So brothers and sisters, expect, expect the word of God in the coming weeks and months, to coach you up. But I urge you, don't, only, don't just expect it, but desire it and pray for it. Because we need the coaching of the Word of God. We need these encouragements. We need these warnings. We need these charges in our lives. And we need them because we're, we're so prone to discouragement in the Christian life. I don't know about you, but my soul seems to have a magnetic attraction to discouragement. Discouragement comes, and I'm attracted to it, and I just can't leave it behind. And so we need to be coached up. We're often lazy in the Christian life if we're honest with ourselves. We don't pray with zeal as we should. We don't take action against our sin as we should. And so we need this coaching to come to us, pushing us ahead, calling us to take another step forward. You must pursue godliness. You must put off these things. And you must put on these things. And so we find another answer to our question. If we want to fulfill Jesus' mandate... We must pursue godliness. And we must pursue it with abandon. So this is desire number three. You need to know God. You need to pursue godliness. Timothy, you must expose yourself. This is where this letter gets really interesting. Timothy, you must expose yourself to humiliation. So we look in this letter again, and Paul's situation is clear. He's bound with chains. He tells us that. In the eyes of the world, he's shamed. His status before the state is that of a foolish lawbreaker. And at this point, the letter takes an odd turn. We might expect at this point in the letter for Paul to give Timothy some fatherly advice on how to stay out of trouble. Timothy, don't, don't say this. Avoid this topic in front of these people. Don't offend these people. Or we might expect for Paul to call for a pity party. Timothy, come, look at my situation. Isn't it bad? Come worry with me about all of these things that are taking place. Woe is me. But we find nothing of the sort. Paul doesn't hesitate here. Chapter 1, verse 8. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel. Don't be ashamed. Participate. Grab hold of suffering. Embrace it. And again, he says in chapter 2, verse 3, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And then for good measure, he heaps on another quotation. Chapter 3, verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So do you feel the force of these statements? What is Paul saying? He's saying the path of faithfulness is paved in hardship, strife, persecution, and shame, and there's no way around it. If you want to be faithful to Jesus' mission, you have to enter in. You have to embrace the shame. Embrace the humiliation. And Paul desires that there would be no hesitation in the heart and mind of Timothy, that he would enter into it, that he would grab hold of it, that he would embrace it. I don't know about you, but I like comfort. I love comfort. I study to be comfortable. I love the path of least resistance. And I think we're all wired this way. But this is not the way that Jesus took. Remember the gospel story. What did Jesus do to rescue us from our sins? He did not pursue comfort. He grabbed hold of shame and humiliation, suffering, death on a Roman cross. And what does Jesus do? He calls us to walk the same path, to walk the same road He did. If we're going to be Jesus' disciples, making disciples of Him, we're going to have to look like Jesus and act like Jesus and experience the things that Jesus experienced. So, brothers and sisters, we need this letter. Because if we prayerfully take it in, this letter is going to put steel in our spines. It's going to help us cast off worldly weakness and it's going to push us forward in obedience to Jesus' words, no matter the situation, no matter the circumstances. What we will find by God's grace, as we take in this letter, we will become like a soldier who only desires to obey his commander. We'll become like an athlete who's obsessed about competing according to the rules. We'll become like a farmer who diligently, day after day, sticks to his task. This letter will put steel in our spines. So Paul answers our question again. What does it look like to fulfill Jesus' words in the nitty-gritty? Well, it looks like to expose yourself to humiliation and shame. Desire number four. Timothy, you must use God's tools and God's tools alone. You must use God's tools and God's tools alone. So 2 Timothy is a letter that is Scripture-centric. Scripture pops up everywhere. In chapter 2, verse 15, Paul encourages Timothy to use Scripture accurately. He says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Even more, Paul, with as much gusto as he can muster, charges Timothy to give himself fully over to the work of word ministry. Paul reserves the, the strongest language for this theme. Chapter four, verses one through two, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. And then Paul points Timothy to the nature of scripture. What is this that you preach and teach? Chapter three, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. Refreshing statements. But we have to drill into the purpose of these statements. What's the rhetorical purpose of these statements? We have to understand this. Paul wasn't explaining anything new to Timothy. Timothy was half Jewish. He was raised by his mother and his grandmother. And he was exposed. He was taught the the sacred writings from birth. He knew the scriptures frontwards and backwards. Even more, he traveled and ministered with, with Paul for years. He planted churches with Paul. Timothy knew the Scriptures, and he knew the importance of the Scriptures. And so what is Paul doing with all of these references? Well, he's doing this. He's strengthening Timothy's hands and fortifying Timothy's heart. I think the net effect of all of these passages on Scripture result in a message something like this. Paul's preaching. Timothy, I know this. You have devoted yourself to the ministry of God's Word. You've toiled in it, you've labored in it, so that you might preach it and declare it among God's people. Know this, Timothy, despite your circumstances, despite whatever doubts that come to your mind, despite all the difficulties that you and your people face, your labor is not in vain. And you must not flinch, you must not waver, you must devote and continue to devote yourself to the Word. For it is God's Word, it's God's Word that's going to build up and save God's people. That's it. Give yourself to the words. As we think about it, this is the message that we need to hear. We need to hear this again and again and again. If we want to fulfill Jesus' mission mandate, we must be a people who make use of the scriptures. It has to be in everything we do. That's how God makes disciples, through the scriptures. And so this call of 2 Timothy comes to each one of us a bit differently. It lands upon my shoulders and the elders' shoulders. We must give ourselves to the ministry of the word. But it doesn't just land on my shoulder. It lands on every shoulder here. You must receive the word diligently, taking it in, obeying it. Not only must you receive the word, but you also have to be a speaker, a proclaimer of the word. If you want to see disciples made around you, how are you going to do it? You're going to do it by going to the word, explaining the word, teaching the word. And so, Timothy, you must use God's tools and only God's tools. And desire number five. Timothy, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it for the good of God's church. Whatever you do, do it for the good of God's church. And this fifth and final desire really sums up the whole letter. Paul, throughout this letter, essentially preaches a very simple message. Timothy, whether you are standing behind the pulpit preaching the word to the people, or sitting at a table sharing a meal and also the word of life, or if you're contemplating imprisonment, or if you're dealing with that thorny counseling situation, or if you're dealing with that prickly person with the people of God, you must aim, you must labor, you must strive, you must sweat, you must spend and be spent for the good of God's church. At the heart of 2 Timothy is this statement by Paul. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. Listen to what Paul says. It's really unmasks what's going on in Paul's heart. He says, I endure everything. I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. What's Paul after with his life in ministry? Why did he go from city to city? Why does he experience imprisonments? Why is he toiled so hard? Everything for the sake of God's elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. And what does Paul want to see replicated in Timothy's life? This very mission, this very desire. And this is so helpful for us. If we want to obey Jesus' mission mandate, we need to, just like Paul, have this burning desire for the good of God's church. This letter is going to orient our vision towards the church, and it's going to cause us to ask questions. We should be asking as we work through this letter, well, how can I build up God's people? How can I further strengthen God's people? How can I encourage God's people? How can I go out and help gather in God's people? And as we work our way through this letter, we should be laboring with God in prayer. We should be laboring with him in prayer. We should be asking him, Oh God, would you change the desires of my heart so that I might love and care for God's people more than I ever have in my entire life? Oh God, would you give me a desire to labor eagerly with whatever gifts you have given me for the good of your people? We should pray that Paul's words would be tattooed, would be branded on our hearts. I endure everything for the sake of God's elect that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. So that's what we're going to be exploring in the next week and months. And that's Paul's desire for us. And by God's grace, these desires will take root in our heart as the word is preached week by week. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are so thankful for your word, especially 2 Timothy, and that we get to study it. That we get to receive it and hear it. And we need all of this.